Welcome to Biblical Tapestry Podcast Season 2, Episode 16 on the Book of Daniel, A Treacherous Plot. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. In this 16th episode in the Book of Daniel, Chapter 6, we find one of the most familiar stories in all of Scripture. Daniel was over 80 years old and under a new government formed by the Medes and Persians after the fall of Babylon. Many of the Jewish captives had already began to return back to Jerusalem. And we pick up in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel, unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he'd done before. Back to verses 1 and 2. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Well, back in chapter 5, we see that Darius the Mede was appointed the leader of a new government over Babylon. The actual identity of Darius the Mede has been debated for centuries. Cambyses was the son and successor of Cyrus the emperor, and according to some ancient texts, Cambyses reigned in Babylon during his father's reign and even was called the king of Babylon. However, Cambyses' rule in Babylon was very short as he apparently had a significant breach of religious protocol at some point. However, he would have been much younger than the 62 years of age that was described back in chapter 5. If we look at Daniel chapter 5 verse 30 through 31, that very night Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. Many scholars have identified Darius as Gabrysus, or Gaburu, 
the governor of Babylon, as mentioned in the Nabonidus Chronicles and other ancient texts. According to cuneiform evidence, Cambyses ruled Babylon for 14 years as appointed by Cyrus. Cambyses was also not a Mede, so he couldn't have met that requirement. Gaburu appointed, or Gambrysis, either way, appointed sub-governors, just as these two verses describe. Cyrus was the emperor over Babylon, and Gaburu, or in our text, Darius the Mede, was the governor or king of Babylon. The Greek historian Xenophon also related that Gaburu was well advanced in years, also as chapter 5 describes. These would have been something of a connection between Daniel and Darius as they were both older. There is also some evidence that Darius the Mede and Cyrus, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, were one and the same person. There are no clear avenues here, but we do note in these verses that Darius, whoever he was, wasted no time in organizing the new government over the conquered empire. He was appointing 120 satraps who would be taking care of various offices over the kingdom, and their roles would be to protect the kingdom. That's what satrap means, is a protector of the kingdom. The Persian Empire was now the largest the world had ever known, and that kind of organization was completely necessary. There were three administrators over the satraps, and one of these was our Daniel. How did this come about is not certain, but the handwriting on the wall the night that Babylon fell and was conquered, and Daniel's role in that would have been well known to the Persians. Daniel, knowing all about the political workings of the former Babylonian Empire, would have been welcomed in the new empire for that specific knowledge. And as a captive of the former empire, Daniel's loyalties would not be challenged. Assimilating parts of the organizational structure of the former empire would assist in bringing quick order to the kingdom. Now to verse 3. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Well, regardless of how Daniel rose to this role in the new empire, we see that Darius was extremely impressed with his abilities, especially the extraordinary spirit he had with him. This extraordinary spirit may have been a good attitude or abilities, but the king may have also seen a great God-given wisdom in Daniel. Verse 4. The administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Well, what caused this issue with the other administrators, the other two other administrators and the satraps? Well, mostly because this old foreigner was about to be their boss once more. However, as much as these people wanted, had watched Daniel... They had looked for a flaw. He showed none. He was faithful. He showed no corruption whatsoever. He was trustworthy. In other words, he was the perfect person to put in charge and had made that impact on Darius. But these men were jealous of that. Verse 5. 
Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Okay, if we want to find a fault with this Daniel, we need to make up the offense. <laughs> if, any, if anyone ever makes a charge against you, the example set for us here is that they would, should have to make it up. Daniel had been living in the pagan polytheistic nation for all of his life, but he remained dedicated to his God, Yahweh, alone. If they were to find fault with Daniel, here was the place to manipulate a charge against him. Daniel's dedication and worship of Yahweh was not hidden from anyone. Daniel was not a secret believer. He would gladly face death than go against God. Verse 6 and 7. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Well, now the plot is hatched. These jealous officials now approach Darius as a group. Notice that this small group, most likely, wants to speak for all of the officials to add weight to the action that they want the king to make. And then, why does the king agree with this assessment? With all the prayers now for 30 days essentially required to go through the king, no other way this may have appealed to the king to gain control over this new kingdom of different people's backgrounds and religions. This may have appealed as a test of loyalty for people to the new government. For 30 days, the king would be acting as the mediator for all the people as a unifying force, not being God, but the mediator for any God. And the penalty for breaking this law was a death by lion, a common execution for the Persians, although they had many horrible forms of execution, including a form of crucifixion that the Romans had perfected. I'll leave that for some other discussion. Verse 8, Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. Once the law was signed, there was no ability to recall the action. So these conspirators were quite anxious to have the king sign the proclamation. The king apparently signed without seeing through the motive of these conspirators. Verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Well, how does Daniel respond to the proclamation? It was his custom to pray and give thanks to God three times a day. Does he change his behavior? Well, no, he does not change. Nor does he hide his actions by praising God and praying. And I would assume much of the prayer time was consumed about with this edict and Daniel's response to it. It was not a sin to honor God, regardless of some man's edict. It was Daniel's duty to honor God and spend time with prayer. How as Christians do we view prayer? Do we view it as a duty? Or when we just occasionally think about it or have a need? 
But because of Daniel's status as an administrator, he had a room with a view. A room on the roof of the house with lattice works where a person could escape the heat and get away. And he prayed towards Jerusalem. And that tells us that since exile, he understood Solomon's prayer at the temple dedication in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 35, When the skies are shut and there is no rain because they have sinned against you and they pray towards this place and praise your name and they turn from their sins because you are afflicting them, may you hear it in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and your people Israel so you may teach them to walk on, on the good way. May you send rain on their land that you gave your people for an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, when there is pestilence, when there is blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, when their enemy besieges them to the land and its cities, when there is a plague or illness, every prayer or petition that anyone, any person, or that all your people Israel may have, they each know their own affliction as they spread out their hands towards this temple. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place, and may you forgive, act, and give to everyone according to all their ways, since you know each heart. For you alone know every human heart, so that they may fear you all the days they live on the land you gave our ancestors. Even for the foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name. For they will hear of your great name, strong hand and outstretched arm, and will come and pray towards this temple. May you hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all the foreigner asks. And all the peoples of the earth will know your name to fear you as your people Israel do and know that this temple I have built bears your name. When your people go out to fight against their enemies, wherever you send them and they pray to the Lord in the direction of the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, may you hear their prayer and petition in heaven uphold their course. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin and you are angry with them, and hand them over to the enemy, and their captors deport them to the enemy's country, whether distant or nearby. And when they come to their senses in the land where they are deported, and repent and petition you in their captor's land, we have sinned and done wrong, we have been wicked. And when they return to you with all their heart and all their soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, and when they pray to you in the direction of their land, that you gave their ancestors the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name may you hear in heaven for your dwelling place their prayer and petition uphold their cause Daniel was obeying the higher law of God this surpassed obeying any earthly authority he was following through as Solomon had said pray towards this place ask for forgiveness but we find in Romans chapter 13 1 Paul tells us this let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason, for it is God's servant, 
an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to these tasks. Pray your obligations to everyone, or pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, and respect those who owe respect, and honor those who owe honor. But, yes, obey all authority. But Peter gives us an example in Acts chapter 5 of what we shouldn't obey. Acts 5 verse 25. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. And after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. We must obey God just as Daniel was demonstrated. Again, I hope you enjoy this season two study in the book of Daniel. Next episode 17 in chapter 6, we will continue the study looking at the accusation against Daniel. God bless you today, and I encourage you to spend some time in God's Word. Please note that Biblical Tapestry has a Facebook and Instagram page, and I encourage you to like and share this podcast if you feel this is deserved. God bless, and take care.